Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their aggression, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and say, turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you can place them on slippery ground. You can cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. That's actually a really great song in terms of the psalm we're looking at today, uh, in terms of the transience of uh, material things and where our hope uh, really should lie. So uh, we're going to get into that from Psalm 73. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this psalm. We thank you that it was written and that um, because of your spirit that it's been preserved for us. And now by your spirit, open our minds and soften our hearts that we would uh, be people who uh, are able to see where our true hope and comfort is. Uh, lies and we ask these things in Jesus name amen uh, have you ever almost slipped down a pathway has that ever happened to you uh, I'm now I, I don't actually mean literally uh, I mean uh, are there things in life which you almost did but now that you're very glad that you didn't you know what I'm talking about? That's happened to me. There's been times in my life when uh, I've, I've come very close to taking a step on a particular pathway of life, 
But then after prayer, God has, has hauled me back and I haven't taken that step. And at the time I wonder why, but it's only later on, then I look back, I can see why he prevented me from taking that step. Because if I'd gone down that path, I would have ended up in a very difficult destination that I couldn't see at the time. I'm not talking about sin, I'm just talking about wisdom issues and so on. And uh, I've always been very thankful to God for that he, he has foresight, uh, that he knows the beginning from the end, and that he's uh, actually very wise and he cares for me. Now, has that ever happened to you? Have you almost slipped, but you've taken a step back? Now, in the Bible, the slippery path, it's a little bit different to that when the Bible talks about the slippery path because uh, in the Bible's, uh, when the Bible speaks about the slippery path, it's talking about the pathway of sin. And uh, that's a path that may look very attractive. Uh, that's a path which we might be tempted to uh, set foot on, uh, but we do so without considering the destination to which it leads. Now, Psalm 73 helps us in that regard. It's a, about a path in life, a path which is very alluring, but is also very, very slippery. Let's have a look at it, shall we? Psalm 73, if you want to have that open up in your Bibles. It's not written by David. This is a psalm which is written by Asaph. Now, we don't know a heck of a lot about Asaph. Uh, we do know from other parts of the Bible that he lived at the same time as David and uh, that he was a musician and that David appointed him to be on the music team at the, uh, at the, at the, at the, in the sanctuary, which in those days was not a temple, it was a tent where uh, people would go to meet up uh, to do business with God. Now, what was the uh, slippery path for Asaph? Well, he names it pretty clearly right up front. Uh, let me have a, just read to you from verses 1 to 3. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost, what does he say? Slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, uh, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, what caused him to almost slip? It was envy. Envy, that's what it was. He envied people who were arrogant and wicked. Now, why would he do that? Well, because they were prosperous. They had plenty of money. That's why he envied them. Now, let me just sort of uh, take a step aside here and make a couple of comments on wealth. Because being wealthy and being arrogant, they're not the same thing, are they? Uh, a person can be filthy rich and they can be a very nice, humble, kind, generous people. I know people who are like that. However... Uh, there is an overlap, uh, there is a connection between being wealthy and being arrogant. Uh, there is a danger there because when you think about it, what is the main benefit of being wealthy? What does wealth give you? 
It gives you power, doesn't it? Uh, it's purchasing power. If I've got money, then I've got the power to buy the things that I want or the things that I need. I've got the, if I've got money, I've got the power to buy a house or I've got the power to buy a new car. I've got the power to buy a plane ticket to take me on a holiday around the world. It's, it's the power to satisfy my needs and my desires, the things of life. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I happen to like my house and my car and the occasional trip overseas. Uh, but it also empowers us to be generous. And that's something which is very clear uh, for Christian people. However, it can also tempt us to be arrogant. To be arrogant towards those who do not have that same power that we enjoy. Uh, to abuse our power over those who we pay to serve us. Uh, to deride the poor as being lazy and unworthy because, well, they don't have as much as we have and we thoroughly deserve what we've got. But more than that, uh, it, uh, there is a temptation to trust that by the power of our wealth that we can control our lives, that we can control uh, all the experiences of our lives, that we can control our destiny rather than trusting in God. Now, uh, in that's the little side issue aside, let's get back to the text. In uh, verses 3 through to 12, um, Asaph has got, a, he's got this battle that's raging in his heart. Because when he looks out and he sees these arrogant, uh, wicked people, what else does he see? Well, he sees that they are doing life fine. In verse 3, they're prosperous. They're all cashed up. Uh, in verse 4, they don't have any struggles. They're healthy and they're strong. In verse 12, they don't have a care in the world. They're carefree. And in between all of that, he says that they're proud, they're callous, they're malicious, they're wicked. I mean, you'd think that God would bless godly people with prosperity, wouldn't you? But instead, it's these people, these callous, wicked, proud, they're the ones who are living the dream. And they think that they've got no need for God. <laughs> Take a look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase their wealth. I mean, what would God, the creator of the universe, know about living life? What would he know? And, you know, we know what God says, but hey... We know better than him. Look at how well we're doing. Look at where it's got us. What would God know? I mean, really. Um, how would you describe that attitude towards God? <laughs> That's kind of like supreme arrogance, isn't it? <laughs> Absolute, what would God know about doing life? Uh, and it's the very essence of sin. It's what we see in the Garden of Eden. You know, God said, oh yeah, sure, God said that we shouldn't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but hey, we know better than God. 
What would he know about truly living life? That's the very nature of sin. Now, when you are suffering, uh, it's easy to imagine that the people who are rich, that they're just kind of cruising through life, that it's all good for them. But that's usually not true, is it? I mean, I love reading the book of Proverbs. Uh, It's one of my favourite books for reading in my quiet times because I really need more wisdom. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1. Let me read this to you. I love this one. Quote, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a full house of feasting with strife. Do you like that? I mean, it's no fun if all that you can afford to eat for dinner is dry crust... But it's a heck of a lot better than having this full banquet laid out for you uh, in a house that's full of bickering and strife. Wealth just gives a different set of problems. Do you think for one moment that um, Gina Reinhardt or Rupert Murdoch are much happier in their lives than you are in your lives? You think so? I don't think so. Friends, Christians, we don't aim for wealth. Uh, We aim for contentment. That's where true peace is found. But yet the evil one, he really does play on our vulnerabilities. And this was the case here for Asaph, the psalmist. Because what else did he observe about life? Sure, he observed that uh, the ungodly are prospering, But he also observed that the godly suffered. Uh, Case example, himself. So in verses 13 through to 16, he's, he's feeling rather sorry for himself. He says, I've tried being godly, but where has that got me? Nowhere. In verse 14, all day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. Sounds like he's doing it tough, doesn't it? And sticking to God's ways, well, that kind of felt like he was being punished. And so what does he conclude? In verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in ignorance. What's he saying? Being godly is a vanity. It's hopeless. It's what use is there in being God? Why should I keep on putting up with all of it? Why not just pack it all in? Why not just kind of relax the whole God thing a little bit and, and live like a bit more like my neighbours who don't love God? I mean, surely life would be much better if only I did that. Ever felt that way? I think sometimes we wouldn't articulate it that way, but sometimes in our heart we kind of do actually feel a bit that way. It's no wonder we love the Psalms, you know, they're thousands of years old, but yet they could have been written yesterday. And my guess is that sometimes we we do feel that uh, life could be more uh, easier, it could be more satisfying, if we just kind of blocked godly things out of our thinking and and went with the flow a bit more. You know, perhaps when we're struggling in in a difficult relationship, and it's really hard being godly in that relationship. Or maybe the other side of the coin, when we've got the, the, the opportunity to make some money, 
um, but dishonestly. And we are kind of tempted just to take that first step onto what really is slippery ground. One of the uh, best words in this psalm is the word almost. Because did Asaph actually slip? No, he didn't. In verse 2 he says, I almost slipped. I was going to slip, but I didn't. Um, I, was, I was held back. Why? What was it? What was it that held him back? Well, in verse 17 he says, I entered the sanctuary of God, which as I mentioned earlier, that's where God's people would, uh, would go to in order to do business with God. And it also was the place where Asaph ended up working as a musician. Uh, not the same as the church building today, by the way. We don't have sanctuaries. We don't have physical buildings at a temple. This building keeps, keeps us nice and cool on a sunny day and that sort of thing. Uh, but God dwells in us, in, in you and me. If we, uh, as we are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, God dwells in us. So we are his temple. Now, for Asaph, when he focused on God, he changed, um, both in his head and also in his heart. And so his vision of life uh, had become unclear uh, because he'd adopted the values of the world around. Um, he was thinking that all that, there wa all that there is to existence is this mortal life, this 70, 80, 90, however many years you live, and then after that, there's nothing. So what do you do? You make the most of it. You earn as much money as you can, regardless of what it takes and who it hurts. Because there is no God, there's no eternity, there's no judgment, so just eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's it. Game over. He almost slipped until he entered the sanctuary of God. And for us, that might mean that um, uh, a godly friend gets alongside us and encourages us uh, in the Lord, uh, maybe even prays with us, uh, or reads the scriptures with us. Uh, maybe God in his mercy just lays it on our hearts to, to pick up a Bible, just to start reading or to close our eyes and, and pray to him or to, to just come and meet again with his people. Um, how many times have you felt um, so sinful or so uh, troubled that you really did not want to read your Bible? or to pray, or to come to church. But after you have, you think to yourself, that was great. Uh, I feel so much better. You feel comforted. You feel peace. Uh, you're filled with peace because your perspective on life has changed from the temporal to the eternal. You see, in the journey of life, the comfort you experience on the road 
is not nearly as important as to where that road ends. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. So the psalmist here is saying, I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't spread my, um, un, my dark thoughts uh, at that time and to, to other, other people so that they might actually start getting disaffected from God and, um, and envy the arrogant. Because in verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it really was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. I mean, wow. He had believed the lie that says that true security is found uh, along the path of the ungodly. But uh, with his thoughts now lifted from the temporal to the eternal, he realises how slippery, how dangerous, how insecure that pathway actually is. Now, the path of sin promises us a lot, doesn't it? But it's like bait on a hook and you know how that ends up don't you Uh, for every lie that's told every person cheated every relationship that's wrecked through greed there is pain in this life and in the next for there is also a day of judgment and that is uh, a lot of people don't like talking about judgment in church it's weird isn't it but i think it's somehow unloving of god but god actually values us he values you and because he values us so much how we live our lives is really important to god and and so and we've all fallen short and so god judges us but it's why he sent jesus god's word is very clear on this matter that uh, those who do not obey the gospel, that those who don't trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to pay for their sins, then they are still in their sins. They are still subject to his judgment. And they will be punished with everlasting destruction. They'll be shut out from his presence forever. Do not be deceived. No matter how comfortable in this life, That is the destiny for all who reject Christ. Want to join them? I didn't think so. It's not very secure, is it? It, They look secure with all of their wealth, their big bank accounts, their great superannuation, and it looks very secure. But it's very slippery. And Asaph discovered where true security is found. Verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He's saying, Lord, I was a fool. (laughs) I really was a fool. 
Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Uh, In a fallen world, being godly can be very hard. In times of trial and temptation, it's just so so much easier to give in. But true security is only found in God. Think about the eternal for a few moments. Think about where you will be in 100,000 years from now. Because that's only part of eternity, isn't it? Think about your bank balance. Think about your asset portfolio now. How important will that be to you in 100,000 years into eternity? What will it mean? Nothing. It's like a puff of smoke. But whether you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you trust that his death on the cross has paid for your sin and that he's risen from the dead... That'll mean everything. Everything. Uh, Last year we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. One of the documents that was written in the Reformation was the Heidelberg Catechism. I love it. It's it's beautiful. Uh, And in the opening of the Heidelberg Catechism, it, it asks this question. The question is, What is your only comfort in life and in death? What's your comfort in life and death? The response is, and I quote, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. That I am not my own, I don't belong to myself. That the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is my only comfort. That is my wealth, my security, my hope, my strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, he says that uh, because God has raised Jesus from the dead, that if we are in Christ... Then so too, by his power, will he raise us to be with Jesus. And so Paul says, so therefore, where do we fix our eyes? We fix our eyes on Jesus, don't we? We fix our eyes on Je- We fix our eyes uh, not on the things which we can see. We fix our eyes on the eternal. Now, Sometimes our possessions can outlive us. Most of the time, uh, we outlive our possessions because their built-in obsolescence is shorter than my built-in obsolescence. Uh, But eventually, our bodies grow old um, and they fail and we die. Uh, I I knew a wealthy man who uh, I used to visit in the nursing home where he lived and he really had not grasped hold of the gospel. 
perhaps until the end. But uh, he was in the final months of his life and uh, I was meeting with him on one occasion and, and he was in despair. He really was. And he said to me these words, I find it hard to forget what he said. He said to me, Scott, during my life I built a business empire. He said, the other day they just took away from me the right for me to sign a cheque. His world was falling down around him. The thing that he'd lived for, the power that he had to write cheques, the power that he'd used to build his empire, was gone. But if we are in Christ, then we actually don't lose heart, says Paul. Because whilst outwardly we, we waste away, you know, our eyes start to fail, we start to need hearing aids, we can't walk so well, we end up with, with those little walkers, a few of them around here, and, but yet inwardly, inwardly, says Paul, if we are in Christ, then we are being renewed day by day. We are being comforted, we are being strengthened, we are growing in our love for the Lord Jesus as we look forward to being with him. Outwardly we waste away, inwardly, that's what matters. Doesn't matter how slippery the world is, God has got us firmly in his hands. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, forever. Now, Asaph begun this psalm by saying that he almost slipped, almost, until he came back to God. And so, instead of complaining to people and spreading his dark thoughts about there being no point in being godly and you might as well just be like the wicked, see how he finishes the psalm? Verse 28, he says, I will now tell of all of your good deeds. Now he wants others to know just how good God really is. Life without God? Sometimes that road does look easier but not when you can see the destination. Uh, God doesn't promise us an easy road, but what he does promise is that through the hard times and through the day of judgment, that he will hold us secure, that he holds us by our right hand and he will take us to be with Christ Jesus in glory. If only... We trust in him. Shall we pray? Father, forgive us for those times when we have failed to trust you. When we've seen the, uh, the tinsel and the glitz of the world and we thought, I want some of that at the expense of being godly. Father, even in times of trials and difficulties, help us to not just look at the temporal, but look at the eternal. Look at the big picture and think about what you've done for us in Christ as we seek to, uh, as we look forward to 
our eternal future. Help us to be godly.